Side effects, spoken quickly and quietly, that's what the American public knows about pharma. And it all just changed. Welcome to the Cineos Health Podcast. I'm Jeff Stewart from Cineos Health Consulting. Pharma ads are changing. Matthew Snodgrass, Cineos Health's head of U.S. digital and social strategy, is here to talk to us about the new and improved FDA rules for TV and radio advertising. Not all Cineos Health Podcasts provide value to all listeners. Ask your doctor before listening to this episode of the Cineos Health Podcast. Matthew Snodgrass, welcome to the Cineos Health Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me back. It's so good to have you again here. Thank you. And we are talking today about something new and fun the FDA is doing. What did they just do? Yes, anything coming from the FDA, people wait on bated breath, but always fun. It's funny because it's something they recently did that they started actually quite a long time ago. Back in 2010, they proposed a rule to address drug ads and how they are shown in TV and radio, specifically how the major statement or might be better known as the important safety information or ISI or the fair balance portion of a radio or TV ad is to be treated. But the FDA hadn't solidified that rule until just recently, just last month. So it's been kind of on the shelf for 13 years and it's been finalized and will go into effect in May of this year. 13 years is a very long time to get to a final rule. It seems like it would have to be a very complicated thing. I don't think this one is complicated, but maybe I don't really understand the nuances. No, you're absolutely correct. It's not much complication to it. There is a bit of good clarification to it. Some of the questions that have come up in terms of ambiguity around drug ads, it's interesting because a lot of that ambiguity doesn't stem from FDA. It stems from a lot of companies' regulatory groups' interpretation of those rulings. So having sat in, gosh, probably two different MLR meetings, different companies' meetings throughout the last 20 years or so. MLR meaning medical and legal review? Absolutely. Medical and legal review. Those teams, they make... For products, they would be known as PRC or a variation thereof, which is Product Review Committee, that then decide and judge and determine the review and approval of marketed materials for drugs, whether that be a radio ad, a poster, a magazine ad, or in this case, a TV or radio ad. And who is on an MLR? I've not been in the meeting with an MLR. I've only gotten the reviews from MLR, sometimes negative, sometimes positive. What is MLR like when you're in there? Who's on these things? It's typically representatives of each of those three arms, a medical review team or medical review individual, a lawyer to look at the legal review of these marketing materials. And then I would say primarily the regulatory reviewer that looks at these materials from a regulatory stance. Will it pass those rules and is it in compliance with the rules set forth from whether that be FDA or FTC, U.S. Code of Federal Regulations? I would say it's equal, but it's typically more the regulatory reviewer has more of an input on it because the mass consumer marketing materials don't often have a highly technical or medical bent to them. So while medical does have a way in in the review and approval of these materials, it's quite often the true marketing aspect of it that regulatory will look at. And these are people within the company or are they independent advisors? They are within the company. We have seen that with startup companies or biotech companies that perhaps have just commercialized or just about to commercialize, they may outsource their legal or regulatory review. But for post-marketing or post-approval companies that have one, two, 10, 20 drugs on the market, it's almost entirely an in-house role. 
Okay. And so the MLR, the Medical and Legal Review Board, the FDA rule was perhaps understandable, but apparently not. It reminds me of an HOA board where the rules seem very clear until your homeowners association starts to fine you. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. It's interesting. The FDA, it'll be a final decision, but there are nuances to it that can be vague and interpreted as such, which this rule that was just finalized and will be going into effect provides a little more clarity around some of that ambiguity that existed with it. So think, for example, the typical TV ad that you see for a drug. Most of them are 60 seconds long, the first half of which will be a patient or a caregiver or someone talking about their experience with the drug and how the drug is making their life better, their condition better. And the latter half, typically around the 30-second mark, you'll see side effects of this drug include, and it can be injection site pain, rash, stomach issues. Those must be relayed when you're giving any sort of branded message about an FDA-regulated drug that describes what it's going to be used for, so its indication If it gives any sort of message of efficacy or a safety profile, you must accompany that with the fair balance. So this rule that was just finalized provides a little more clarity, mainly into that second half of it. So there were a few elements that I think are going to be good to know for makers of drug commercials. We've all heard the cadence. There's a cadence to these things. It's all very happy with smiling, happy people, (laughs) holding hands, dancing in a field. Typically on a beach on a beach, everything looks gorgeous, and the voice is very calm or excited about all the great things that are going to happen. And then the voice suddenly changes gear. And instead of being in a very nice gear, suddenly it is overdrive. It is fast talk where they're saying, caution, happy fun ball may suddenly accelerate to dangerous speeds. That's what we're talking about. And the rule is about that. You hit the nail on the head. It's about that portion of it and how it's treated. It's funny. Last year, we ran into an instance where that latter half of the commercial, just as you said, the voiceover is talking about basically the side effects and the contraindications or who this drug isn't for about the drug. And we had to go back to the edit room when the regulatory team, or really the MLR team in its entirety, but the regulatory reviewer said that they didn't like the fact that there were people too happy in that portion of it. So they were cheering over a meal that was made by the patient in this case. And we had to find different cuts of it where the participants around the dining room table didn't seem so happy. And it was interesting because we didn't really want to push back because it is their product. It's their interpretation of the FDA rule. I mean, at the end of the day, they are responsible for the adherence or compliance to these rules. We can provide our counsel, but it's their heads on the chopping block if anything were to go wrong. So we erred on the side of caution. And interestingly, in this rule, there was one specific portion of it very far down. It's a, it's a long, typical FDA rule of 27 pages. And it specifically said that they would be fine with images of happy instances or happy people that accompany that major statement that's read at the end. So had this rule been finalized or in effect at that point, we may have pushed back on that regulatory decision. But it's good to know that FDA has provided a bit more clarity around things like that. So the thinking that FDA updated, at least with this portion, is that fair balance can be met even if during discussions of sometimes fairly severe side effects, we still have happy people being shown. Yeah, yeah. And earlier, you mentioned the pace of the reading of the second half. 
that was actually a portion to this now final rule that came into this as well. So they do talk about the use of audio to present that major statement, in particular, the voiceover that you have, not only throughout the beginning of the commercial where they're talking about the benefits of the drug, but the latter half of the commercial where they're talking about the side effects of the drug. And they do say that the volume and pacing and speed of the latter half should match that of the first half. You think of that definition of fair balance, think of that as an actual scale that you're meaning to balance. Whatever you put on the left side of the scale that's talking about the benefits of the drug, you must balance that scale with talking about any side effects or contraindications of it as well. So you can't treat the important safety information about the drug as a little throwaway at the end and think you're going to check that box. It must be done with equal weight, with equal importance. And this rule is really defining that. If you think about it, that is a sea change in our zeitgeist, in our world shared experience with these commercials. They're done. There is no more, at least for pharmaceuticals, there is no more, we guarantee it, not a guarantee. Yeah. It's gone. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. And not only that voiceover portion must be done at the same volume, the same pacing, the same speed. They noted in the rule, the on-screen imagery that you have, in particular graphics or lower thirds or any sort of text that you see on the screen, must be presented in a similar fashion. For example, a couple other interesting clarifications in this rule are that second half of the commercial where they're talking about side effects. You can't have anything on screen that would be too distracting from a consumer listening to that important safety information. You can't have fast-moving images or fireworks or anything that would be on screen that would be distracting to them taking in that important safety information. They also talk about the use of on-screen text. You can use it. One of the items that they clarified is let's say the side effects are injection site redness, stomach issues, and possibility of increased risk of cancer. Those can be listed in bullet form on screen, and they can be done in shorter form. So if the voiceover is talking about them in full sentences, the bullets can talk about them in short form. It's interesting. Typically, FTA is never that explicit in their definitions, but they were in this case. And this applies only to branded pharmaceuticals. Does this also apply to over-the-counter? Any branded prescription medication regulated by FDA. Oh, it has to be prescribed. Yeah. I'm wondering if this was the end of jingles. Do you have to sing the side effects? Right. (laughs) No, no, no. It's not so much from a creative standpoint, because they did talk about the creative component to a commercial as well. Because, I mean, honestly, these are meant to be I don't want to use the word entertaining, but you don't want to bore the people with all this information because, you know, you think about an advertisement for an iPhone and you were forced in the second half to talk about how bad the iPhone is. That would be a tough thing to do, right? But that's effectively what pharmaceutical companies are needing to do in balancing that commercial with the second half talking about positive negative side effects or serious side effects and who it's not intended for with the contraindications. It's a good thing to have because it's always best that patients and doctors have the most and best information when walking into the doctor's office and deciding to take or not take a medication. The fact that they clarified a lot of vagaries throughout this is actually really a good thing. That kind of brings up another possibility to me, Matthew. I don't know if this is the case, but tell me if they addressed it. When one looks at safety signs on something like a ladder, there can be a lot of safety signs. If there are too many safety signs, then they get ignored. They just all become part of the wash. It's just a human cognitive problem. And it's recognized in the law at times where 
having too many warnings hides the essential warnings. Is there any guidance from the FDA and this document, or maybe even this is general guidance, on the important side effects, the important contraindications, and not hiding them in a laundry list of unimportant side effects? That's a great point. And the answer is a definite yes. That major statement that they use throughout this rule is specifically related to what they refer to as the most important side effects or the most serious side effects. So to put this into perspective, at this point, we've been talking about a TV commercial where you have 60 seconds, the last 30 seconds of which are dedicated to this major statement. Now, if you think about the typical important safety information, it's super long. It could be 4,000, 10,000 characters long. So you think of a magazine article, a magazine for the young kids who may not know what a magazine now is nowadays, but the first full page spread of a magazine that has an ad for the drug and you flip that page over and it has long, long, small, fine point text about all of the prescribing information, the important safety information, side effects. That's it in its entirety. Now, to ask a pharmaceutical company to create a commercial that includes all of the important safety information, it could take two, three, five, seven minutes to do. And none of them wants to pay seven minutes for a one minute commercial, right? It would increase their costs dramatically. So what the FDA allows for is what's sometimes referred to as a brief summary or a supplemental or shortened ISI, or in this case, the major statement, which only includes the most important or most serious side effects. So yes, to your point, I think out of a sense of reality, perhaps not out of information overload, but out of sense of reality, they don't expect pharmaceutical companies to include all of the safety information. They're expected to include the most important safety information in these commercials. So to summarize, the changes that we understand, or at least I've understood so far, are you must speak in the same tone of voice and the same speed from the beginning to the end. The side effects, at least the major side effects and the major statement that you're talking about, the benefits of the drug. You can have happy people during sad parts of the text. That's fine. And you can't be too distracting. Is there anything that I've missed or not understood that's part of this guidance? Yeah. There are two other elements which I found very interesting that they clarified as well. One is the use of quantitative terminology. For example, what FDA does not want pharmaceutical companies to say is some of the patients have experienced injection site pain or most of the patients have benefited from the use of this drug or shown signs of improvement. They don't like the vague terminology when talking about numbers or amounts. What they outline in this rule that they prefer you say is 20% of the patients have experienced injection site pain or 84% of patients have seen improvement over one month. That's one element that will really help pharmaceutical companies because that happens a lot. They include stats, they include elements that are pieces of information from the approved label about the drug and what they can say about certain people that have benefited or haven't benefited from this. They don't want you using vague terminology. What about one in five as opposed to 20%? And can you do one in five if it's 19% or 21% for that matter? Yes, yes, you can. In fact, I think one of the examples, if memory serves, is they reference an example much like you have said. It was something along those lines, like one in four, one in five, instead of the use of vague terms like some or most or a few. That's good. I just think as a writer, I've been taught. I 
write this way when I'm writing for a non-professional audience that people don't get percentages, but they do get one in two, one in three, one in four. So I lean towards those when writing for a popular audience. I don't know if that's true. Seems logical that it would be, but I use it. It's nice to know that I won't be in the crosshairs of the next MLR or FDA. Yeah, exactly. One other element I wanted to call out that they defined and clarified is the use of a term called dual modality. They noted and actually referenced psychological papers that people learn better when they have multiple points of input. So if you read something, but you also hear it, or you speak it, or you saw it on TV as a scroll, they claim that will improve the understanding of that material. They didn't necessarily encourage the use of, but they define the use of dual modality, which is the use of both audio describing or voiceover describing a component or an aspect to the major statement, as well as text or graphics of that as well. They note that when the voiceover both speaks about the major statement and the graphics show it on screen, that helps the viewer improve their understanding of that major statement. So in essence, I interpret that as them liking the use of dual modality in these commercials. And you've written about this in a blog post white paper explaining what is a long document, the 27-page document from the FDA, and highlighting what it is that a pharma company or biotech needs to know. Can you talk about that? Yeah, indeed. Something I've done for many years, and it really started with the FDA's issuance of the four sets of guidances specifically for social media platforms that they did. (laughs) Oddly enough, around the same time, around 2000, I think it was around 2011, they released the first, and by 2014, they released their fourth and final set. These are long, very long government documents that not only tough to ingest, but tough to refresh yourself on. So what we've done throughout the years is created highlighted versions of them. So in this instance, for this 27-page document, we have available a PDF version that is highlighted that defines the most important piece of information. So if you're 20 minutes from walking into your PRC or MLR meeting and you need to refresh yourself on this, this is a great way of catching the highlights that'll be important so you can defend your creative work to your regulatory reviewer. Matthew, that sounds like a great resource. We'll put a link in the show notes. I just want to thank you for joining us in the Cineos Health Podcast and teaching me something that I didn't know about how the FDA works and the new rule that came out. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Jeff. And thanks for this podcast. That's all for today's episode of the Cineos Health Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Stewart from Cineos Health Consulting. If you want to talk through a hard decision you're making at your life sciences company, you may email me at podcast at cineoshealth.com. For access to more future-focused, actionable life sciences insights, visit the Cineos Health Insights Hub at insightshub.health. Cineos Health, shortening the distance from lab to life.